Welcome to AO On Air. This is a podcast from ActiveOps, allowing us to present you topics ranging from operations management, leadership, technology, and new innovations. Check out all our episodes on YouTube channel AOTV or with your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple or Spotify. Now let's begin. Hello and welcome to AO On Air, a podcast sponsored by ActiveOps. Today we've got a, a guest that's going to talk with us a little bit about managing through turbulent times. This is going to be a series of, of these discussions with various senior leaders and I'm really excited to welcome Jude Pinto with us today. Jude, hello. Thank you for joining. Hi, how are you, Michael? Um, pleasure to be here. Very good. Well, why don't we start with, uh, you know, I mentioned that we're talking about, you know, a senior leader's perspective in managing in turbulent times, and we can get through into more detail, but maybe an introduction of yourself might be might be the best way to get started. Sure. Yeah. Um, I come from uh, 30 years of banking and insurance, primarily in those industries, but have had a variety of roles from uh, finance, CFO type of roles, CIO roles and technology, strategy roles, operations role for a big part of it. And over that time, I've had the privilege to manage teams from 50 to 3,000 um, employees. Yeah. Um, so a lot of operations, a lot of operations supplemented with technology um, in both Canada and the Caribbean as well. So a bit of a, uh, an international feel uh, to that uh, um, over those years. Um I've uh, most recently been running my own practice, J Pinto Advisory, which um, works in in on advisory boards and uh, pre-IPO boards and and and, and public boards, um, and that's been keeping me busy for the last uh, couple of years, including um, you know clients uh, and users of ActiveOps uh, along the way too. So I've stayed very close to uh, uh, the company as as part of that practice. Excellent, and and we've uh, we've enjoyed some of your discussions uh, previously. We've I've seen sessions that you talked about operation excellence, how to prepare for that, how to get your team ready for transformations and things like that. Now we're heading into potentially turbulent times. Uh, some talk of recession, uh, maybe not a recession, but regardless, inflation is high. We see CPI high and things like that in different regions, and it seems to be a global phenomenon, not just a, a regional aspect. Um, I'm just curious, out of that rich career that you mentioned, uh, you, you've probably seen turbulent times in the past. Maybe could you give us a flavor of that? <laughs> you know, anybody working in uh, you know one or two industries over the course of 30 years is going to uh, will have gone through somewhat turbulent times. You know, I started um, working out of uh, uh, university and back in 1989, and um, you know during that time, you know, I, I had entered the insurance industry. And the turbulence at that moment was really coming from the fact that in Canada, the major financial institution pillars were starting to combine banks and trust companies and um, also with uh, uh, brokerage houses, you know, were starting to come to the forefront. And the question was out there as to what was going to happen with insurance. So if you were running large insurance operations, a lot of uncertainty was out there as to how will the industry unfold. And um, you know, our team um, within insurance was about 3,000 people wondering um, what's next. So it wasn't necessarily coming up to a recession necessarily, but a lot of uncertainty as to what's the future of the industry, what's the future of that particular company, and so on. You know, a few years later, uh, as the dust settled on that, you know, dot coms, dot coms had grown to a new phenomenon and then collapsed in the early 2000s. So you know, a lot of parts of our within banks and within financial institutions in general were trying to react to what do we do now. 
um, you know, after a collapse of that, which was a, a growth engine um, uh, for the industry for a few years. But then you have to really refocus on how do you integrate your service offering up against what the clients need um, and what the markets are uh, willing to fund and, and finance. So after the dot-com collapse, that created another sort of mini recession for those engaged in, in that particular part of the world. Then came 2008 with the crash there where we were running large uh, operations teams and you know went through the cycle of how do projects change? Where does funding change? How does the economic outlook and the demands on every team in an organization start to shift? And what's the role of leaders as you go through that? And that uh, you know, 2008 in particular uh, for all of North America meant a heavy focus on you know, who's got the healthiest balance sheet and how do you shore that up? And then what does that mean for your operations and how do you shift? Uh, companies, a lot of mergers and acquisitions came out of that as people tried to you know, build uh, financial strength to, uh, to come out of that. In 2013-ish or so, um, technology in digital form had taken the forefront. So everybody started to accelerate digital and digitization programs, a little different from what it was back in the early 2000s. But that too created a you know, a, a threat or change at, or turbulent times for those in operations. And that continued right till 2020 when all of that sort of came to a head with uh, the pandemic, yeah. right? And then it was a question of how do you, what do you continue on the digital front? How do you react to new hybrid workforces, um, you know, and all of the concerns and some opportunities that come out of shifting your business throughout the pandemic. But those are all good examples where, you know, there's a common thread there in how do you lead people through that change? What are the things that are most important as leaders or for organizations? Um, and I think there are learnings throughout that are that, that are indeed um, uh, reusable as we think about the next post-pandemic, pre-recession, or pre-economic slowdown world and what that could mean for teams. Um, you know, how we manage probably has you know, very similar parameters in terms of how to think about it. Yeah, so that that leads into the ne- the next question I had for you. I mean, I, as a as a leader that yeah. you've seen quite a quite a quite a range of of issues, you know, whether it be the the capital markets or the uh, like you said the dot com bust, which which led some people into different ways. You know, operations leaders are are kind of staring ahead, looking at what could be uh, choppy waters, and and that could mean it could mean things like layoff. It could mean things like mergers and acquisitions. Uh, any number of things that could impact, and and they and and I think I like what you said there. It's about leading the people through that that change, whatever that change might be, or just keeping them on track, right? Just keeping them selling in the right direction. Right. So, do you have three to you know three or five just good uh, suggestions for senior leaders that are thinking about that and looking ahead? Absolutely, you know, I and, I, and I've used this framework um, from an ops leadership perspective over and over again, and, and that definitely applies as people are readying themselves. Um, for a potential recession. Um, First and foremost, don't lose sight of your customer-driven purpose because it's too easy to get distracted by all of the macro um, uh, things happening in the environment around you and an organization or, and within that organization, an ops team can really get um, uh, sidetracked if it loses what its purpose is as driven by the client or the consumer or the customer, however that's being defined. It will shift during a recession, but it should be the driver of how you think about your organization and your services and what's most important for the next three to five years. That's number one. Number two are build agility. Your project 
budgets and and uh, strategic plans from two years ago aren't going to and five years ago um, uh, aren't going to be the same as what it's going to be in the next year. So get ready, build resilience in your team for that type of change, and be open about the fact that that's going to that that's likely to impact um, the way things are run or need to emerge coming out of a recession. Third, redefine your definition of ops excellence. So again, what was relevant pre-pandemic, what was relevant through the pandemic is aren't the same measures that might be relevant now as you go through, as the business goes through a cycle of change and people go, um, uh, uh, and teams have to go through uh, changing how their definition of performance. And last but not least, and I leave this last because I'd probably spend most time on it, it's get ready for a different form of engagement. You know, engagement, whether you were going through uh, a 1995 industry change or a 2001.com bust or a 2008 downturn or a pandemic. Um, engagement of your employees. Um, in the pandemic, that was driven by huge concerns around physical and mental wellness as you went through it. That expands now into you know, um, economic wellness um, for uh, friends and families uh, in general and for the economy in total as we go through this next piece. The engagement level, the or the, the 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 requirement for leaders to be able to engage, continues. Yeah. Right. Different uh, form of factors that that drive that, and different tools that need to go into that. But I'd say it's a common thread for sure. But as I've seen over 30 years, and great leaders and great organizations find how to fine tune their levels of engagement um, and not lose their employees along the way. Excellent, excellent. I really like all four of those. So let's 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 go back and start with the first one. It was really the customer, right? If you, you've developed a, a strategy for your customer-driven process or your and and your and your beliefs as a company, so so how do you keep people focused on that? You said don't lose sight of it, but how do you keep people focused when they may see you know a bit of change around them? Yeah, I think pre-pandemic, a lot of um, good work had been going on in a number of companies, not just in financial services, but you know a because of the availability of data and feedback and input from customers, product offerings and service offerings were getting to be quite refined. You know, a keen understanding of where things needed to be digital, enhanced by face-to-face, omni-channel, expectations for turnaround times and service levels, et cetera, started to get crisper and crisper because um, in, uh, technology started to enable you know, a greater attraction of that, uh, you know, gathering of that stuff directly from the customers. So that was a healthy cycle leading up into the, uh, um, uh, I'd say, the, the, the start of pandemic. That pandemic then came along and said, okay, wait a minute, your customers are locked up, you're locked up, your, your employees are partially working from home. How do you deliver that stuff? What momentum do you retain um, uh, when doing that? And you can actually see now a, a, a you know, that customer-driven purpose driving a lot of what kept engagement up, even if people were working from different locations, um, uh, through the pandemic, but it kept them focused on it. Same thing has to happen now, because if you turn internally and start worrying about job losses and which teams around and, and leaders stop communicating um, uh, with employees or it's kind of heads down, batting down the hatches, you know, there's a danger that not only are you not going to meet your objectives of, you know, maybe right-sizing or pivoting your strategy, but you might become less relevant to your consumers and clients because you've started to ignore them. Yeah. So that should always continue to lead the discussion. What is happening to your customer base, whatever industry you're in? Yeah. Um, how are they changing? How are their 
you know, that information gathering piece of it is important, as important for the executive team and the strategy guys as it is for the ops team to understand their purpose and how their purpose is changing and the important of one importance of one metric or another um, in this type of recession. You know, for example, you know, um, you know, wealth gathering might not be as active as collections activity and operations. Um, and how do you do that driven by uh, an understanding and empathy with um, within a bank on on, um, you know, how do you keep your customer franchise alive, knowing that your activities in the shape of operations type of activities is likely to change yeah. um, and get people talking about that. And then if you have to make changes in ops teams, there's clarity as to why. Right. It's still driven ultimately by a, a customer um, defined purpose as opposed to an economic reaction you know, on its own. Yeah. So that's my thinking on the on the customer piece. Make sure the conversation is led by that, because in isolation, what ends up happening is a mid-level manager might say, oh, we're being told to do this. We have to close that and that team, but grow that team without a good sense of purpose. Right. So, you know, you have to equip those leaders with a reason why this is less important. That's going to be more important or we're starting to do this instead. Yeah. Um, yeah. And hopefully there's a tie back into you know, your, your business's reason for being in the first place, which yeah. is the client. Yeah, it's interesting, and and the thing, the vision that popped in my head, and I don't, this may be too simplistic of an example, but it, but I'll say it anyway. You know, when you think about a retail store and people are dealing with inventory, or maybe they're restocking something, and they put that bell on the front door, and when you open that front door and the bell rings, you got to go take care of the customer first, right? Yeah. And it kind of that 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 Correct. whether that's accurate or not, it kind of popped in my head that hey, when that bell rings, let's make sure that we're there. So. Yeah, interesting. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the second item you said is is something that we we talk about a lot at ActiveOps and our with our customers, but it's build agility. And you said you also use the word resilience. Build resilience into your operation. So, could you elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think you know what I've seen in larger operations team and technology teams and even professional services teams is, you know, it's um, you know, when we hit a wall where we have to make a strategic pivot for economic reasons or whatever the uh, there, there's a bit of going through the um you know phases of uh, acceptance from anger and denial to exploration to acceptance on that so that tends to happen around this time too because there's you you hear you know the negative conversations are you know this was what we were on track to do we had to give it up to do this in the pandemic instead and now we're being asked to do this and our budgets are shifting. That no longer exists, but they want to invest here in that. In that, right? So, and all and it all may be for good strategic reasons as to why we need to do that. But bringing the organization along with that strategy is the essence of what I'm thinking of in terms of agility and resilience. And it's back to that making meaning uh, um, uh, around change so that you can accept it. So what tends to happen is, um, number one, you got to build a case for doing a different set of projects or cutting back these project budgets and growing those ones, et cetera, and making sure that the what you choose to do in the next three to five years are going to be best aligned to uh, the economic reality and uh, the objectives of the firm. But along the way, what also happens this in this time, you've got a lot of emergency projects. You know, this is collapsing, that's collapsing, collapsing. You've got a particular, you know, um, you know, uh, 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 issue with a, a client set or part of an industry shifts and stuff. And all of a sudden you feel like you're firefighting mm. and being able to firefight well, recognizing that there will be, be these things that come up, that's resilience. Yeah. So, so that not everybody is, com you're not co completely shocked every time there's a slight change and someone's 
says we need to work on this for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, you know, that's going to be the course of uh, you know, in, in the next three years, that's going to happen. And you don't want that to be the reason you lose engagement along the way. It's build that mental resilience, knowing that that's going to shape um, your activities and your projects um, and, and you can bring people with you. Yeah. So starting to talk about building personal and team resilience now um, is a good thing. Um, you know, it, people did it well, I say, uh, that, that I've been associated with it throughout the start of the pandemic because, the, you know, there's, there's, there is just this global need for everybody to get their heads around what this means to them and to their form, firm and their teams and then them personally. Same sort of thinking can happen now in, in, in this. So agility to take on new and different projects and get ready for yourself and keep people engaged and resilience to take on the unexpected things that you know are going to happen yeah. in this type of um, uh, environment. Yeah, excellent. Those are great points, and I and I like the idea that uh, that there will be emergency projects, and it shouldn't consume everybody. It's gonna if if you're agile and resilient, you'll figure out a way to to manage all all of that. So, uh, and then then your third uh, uh, item was redefine the definition of uh, operation operational excellence. Operational excellence. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I jotted it yeah. down, so but I used abbreviations. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, you know, typically, um, you know, people have a number of metrics that they think are most important to them for operations excellence, and and they're going to be centered around largely service-driven metrics, productivity-driven me metrics, control-driven metrics, and quality-driven metrics. Right. So, from a service perspective, you know, things like SLAs, um, uh, 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 you, you've, you've got to say, are they right size for the size of the teams? Uh, do you have the tools? To be able to tell that you can meet SLA successfully, are they going to shift? Do you have, you know, to meet shifting client-driven demands, you've got to ha have great tools that help you go and say, well, you know what, you're going to have to staff up here and staff down there in order to meet this type of SLA or this type of client turnaround time, etc. The second thing about service that tends to pop up in this environment is, you know, um, employees and clients sometimes are in a not the greatest frame of mind, you know, economically and with worry and stuff around them. So um, service response, and by that I mean handling of exceptions and handling of things that fall through the, the cracks and making clients back into fans if, if, they, you know, if they do fall through the cracks, that becomes an important skill set there on the service side. So definitely adjust your, 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 your you know, staffing levels, service levels, et cetera, to better understand demands, but then also make sure you're really good at handling the exceptions where you can easily, especially in the days of so, these days of social media, um, uh, going viral, you know you can you can tank a lot of good work if if you've just got a few clients that get really public about um, uh, uh, some misgivings. That's on the service side. On the productivity side, you know there's two aspects to that. There's you know there's team level productivity and, and individual level productivity, and hopefully um, p tools have emerged that allow people to to manage that in a positive way, meaning you're constantly increasing with better information, um, individual level productivity and team level productivity with greater benchmarks, with, assisted with tools. It should drive better processes that makes the next round of productivity targets better, et cetera, all information enabled. Um, you know, the downside of it, it would be making sure that you've got an ability to coach privately where performance is lacking. So, you know, praise publicly and yeah. coach privately. Um, uh, again, it's a somewhat it's a it's a layer of sophistication in managers and frontline managers, office managers, 
that has to be enabled with great tools and stuff to make them um, uh, able to, 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 to manage productivity in a different way. So I think what'll, uh, what will tend to happen is um, uh, the tools and insights from productivity will start to get more sophisticated. And with the amount of change and resilience and agility that's required, knowing how to shift resources, share resources, um, rebalance the organization according to the things that come with a, a potential recession becomes a big driver of productivity. Because what will happen is there'll be a fire in one place and you know a team will blow, blow its brains out because they have to somehow hire 200 extra people. But meanwhile, you don't have an ability to take resources from elsewhere, which are probably underutilized um, without the right tool. So productivity, again, is a tool for agility and a tool for res resilience, but also a tool for engagement uh, right. along the way. Yeah, right. Um, and then quality. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, and that kind of leads into your fourth point. I mean, I know you weren't finished with that one, but yeah. you mentioned engagement, so. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, if you've got, you know, if you've got, you know that these are the dynamics of managing service and managing productivity for an, for an ops team, and it changes with the external environment, then it comes down to the ability of the leaders, you know, senior leaders, mid-level leaders, frontline leaders, to be able to make meaning of all of that stuff in how they lead a team, and that's engagement. Right, there's no use having all of those tools, and it's just in an ivory tower. And you know, meanwhile, things at the uh, uh, let's call it an operator level are just kind of doled out without uh, uh, that type of meaning. So, you've got you know uh, an existence of a hybrid workforce coming out of the pandemic, and you've got this need to manage productivity and service, and you're going to do it through your leaders. And those leaders need the tools for engagement, whether that's engaging by having daily stand-up huddles with their teams virtually. Um, and managing team level productivity. A big, um, what tends to happen now also is that, you know, shorter term achievable targets as things shift uh, mm -hmm. become meaning. It's no use looking at your three-year target and stuff. You should probably look at the next quarter's target and think about how you start redefining that for your particular team. Yeah. So I think this engagement level, constant communication, targets that um, actually um, help incent and drive performance and overall lift, as well as, you know, targets to help find, uh, you know, underperformers and, and make sure that you can coach them um, to greater uh, productivity. That's that's one level of engagement. The second piece is understanding from the data and your constant discussions, even virtually with the, with, with the employees, um, what else is happening from a health and wellness perspective, especially from a wellness perspective? Are they um, Are they with you? Yeah. Um, are they with the team? Is there are they are they you know staying in place and doing the bare minimum required remotely um, to to hit some targets? Um, and you need strategies to kind of engage and motivate the best of them. You won't get a hundred percent, but how do you make that middle fifty percent better and somewhat engaged? Um, you might have to uh, performance manage the low end and that just incent the top end uh, by leading example. Yeah. Um, but it comes down to that. Engagement through communications and communications enabled through tools and data and things that can make um, make you as empathetic with your employee and in, and connected with your employee as if you're on the floor beside them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's interesting because the, when you think about engagement and what we've just come through with with wellness being a problem because for the first time, managers maybe couldn't see their employees. And there was a it was a different set of things, but but it also proved that engaged employees were more productive. So you know, measuring that is is a is is a relatively easy data point to get when when you have the tools in place. 
but now we're starting that wellness may shift to being concerned about being laid off. It may be concerned about making a mortgage payment. So it's, 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 it's still there. It just may instantiate itself in different ways. Right. That's right. Yeah. Mental wellness and connectivity and engagement is still the theme less driven by maybe medical fears and more by economic fears and fears for their family and, and, and career fears, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that's, um, that's, I'd say new coming out of the pandemic is you've got this bifurcated workforce, um, especially throughout of ops. You've got still a lot of um, boomers getting into the retirement corridors, but you've got a lot of millennials and Gen X leaders starting to emerge. So how you train them and equip them, um, it's not the same way you would have done it 20 years ago for the, the leaders that came through the ranks and just learned every process along the way until they could lead. Yeah. So that becomes you know, engagement of your leaders and retention of talent in this war for talent is new. Yeah. Um, and in recessionary times, I think this will this will drive a lot of good, more advanced thinking for those that are, are, are thinking about making sure they're effective in this war for talent at that generation yeah. building for the future. Well, and, and that's that's something I didn't think about. The, that some of that generation, they haven't worked through a recession before. They haven't worked through an economic downturn before. It's the first one they're going through. So that leadership is going to be and they how you train an them. Interest rate greater than two percent. Yeah, have never seen an interest rate greater than two percent. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you 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 said something earlier in that in that response about resetting goals, where you're not looking at your three year goal. You're looking at maybe the next ninety days or a quarter. Uh, what does that do with, with the engagement? Does that excite people more because they can see, you know, they can feel a, a win, a victory because they're meeting those goals faster? Or what? What do you do? You have any insights on on how that affects the, the, the frontline operator? Like I, I think the yeah, the thinking horizon at the operator and that first team leader level, you know, for a period of stability, you could go with annual plans divided by twelve, divided by fifty-two, um, and you pretty could easily could get to ratchet up uh, weekly targets. But if your business is going to go through change such that you've got dramatic decreases in one team, increases in another team, et cetera, then, you know, that you've got to get closer term. You still have to do that long term planning. But what will make meaning for those leaders is, you know, here's what we need to get to in the next 90 days and focus on those things that can make create achievable wins. Right. Because. You don't want it you know, to be, you know, here's a long-term focus and then all of a sudden the team's changed its mandate and you'll never get there. That's the danger. You, you can't have targets that outlive the mandate of the team, yeah. right, in, in terms of the work they're currently doing. So shorter-term wins, someone, you know, the, the senior team still doing the planning, uh, but make sure that's translated down into something that um, will motivate employees and will uh, allow leaders to have a win. And how they're talking about uh, stuff and, and engaging their teams. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, uh, obviously, this isn't the first uh, downturn you've seen, uh, as you explained early on. Um, and you've given us four very good examples of how to prepare your operations, both as leaders and down to the uh, the operator level. So very, very good. Any any additional insights or any uh, parting parting comments you want to make about the about managing in the downturn? Yeah, I think. Um, uh, maybe this is also for um, uh, some of the newer leaders that are coming out there. It's not, um, you know, it's not about uh, the technology and the tools and the data alone that help you manage and become strong as leaders. It's actually a different form of investing in your own leadership capabilities. And you know, as you understand that and you build 
your teams of leaders um, uh, accordingly. It's a time during a, a downturn um, to build that type of long-term agility and resilience in that, that whole generation of leaders. Um, it's great experience for them uh, as they go through it. Um, and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's the time to make that type of investment yeah. um, for the long term. Yeah, what what a great perspective. Thank you very much, Jude. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to. to you mentioned a little bit at the beginning about uh, Jay Pinto Advisory. Any, uh, how would how would somebody contact you or reach you if they wanted to pick up a conversation directly? Sure. Yeah, you can find me at Jude at jpintoadvisory.com. dot um, Our background is uh, is really in in uh, uh, financial services and in uh, tech startups, uh, fintech startups, um, and then board and uh, pre-IPO board advisory type of work. Um, so reach out anytime. You can find our website, uh, jpentoadvisory.com. Um, read more about us there and, uh, uh, and look forward to hearing from anyone. Excellent. Thank you, Jude. And for those of you watching or listening on their, on a podcast, thank you very much for joining AO on Air. We, we enjoyed this conversation with Jude. Uh, we do want to mention that we have a Capacity 2022, which is our annual users conference coming up in London on October 12th and in Melbourne, Australia on October 24th. Uh, we're going to talk with, with hopefully with Jude and other senior leaders about these topics and talking about how operations leaders can prepare themselves for this, this future turbulent times. So if you would like to learn more about ActiveOps and how we our solutions can support you during this, this time as well, go to ActiveOps.com. You can go to our resource hub. You can look through our different products, use cases, et cetera. It's all there on ActiveOps.com. So thank you very much for joining and have a great day. At ActiveOps, we call it Management Process Automation or MPA. MPA helps managers make better decisions by providing a consistent, easy to understand view of capacity and productivity. MPA does the hard work of consolidating information, forecasting and planning, and even gives you visibility of skills and capabilities across your enterprise. Your managers can make decisions based on a complete picture of their operations and then get back to leading. As work progresses, MPA helps managers spot problems early and deal with them proactively, celebrate successes properly, and match resource to workload in real time. By making managers more effective, MPA reduces operational costs. Best of all, the right MPA tools make it possible to deliver all these benefits across global enterprises with thousands of employees. Solutions like Workwear Plus from ActiveOps. Workwear Plus builds on our 20 years of experience supporting service operations to give you a 360-degree view of your operations, helping you turn operations management from a guessing game into a game-changing source of efficiency and value. Employees are empowered to manage their days and weeks, feeling accomplished, confident and able to balance work and personal life. Wherever your organization or customers live and work, ActiveOps is ready to help you deliver world-class service and employee engagement to help your company thrive. ActiveOps. See further. Know more. Move faster.